Good morning, everyone. It's good to have you here today. Last week, we finished up a series on spiritual birth, and this morning, we're going to start considering spiritual growth. In the first epistle of John, in the second chapter, the apostle outlines for us three stages of spiritual growth. Little children, young men, and fathers, spiritual fathers. And we see that he gives certain characteristics associated with each one of those stages. So let's consider God's word this morning as I read for us 1 John chapter 2, verses 12 through 14. Hear now the word of God. For I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins have been forgiven you for his name's sake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who has been from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I'm writing to you, children, because you know the Father. I have written to you, fathers, because you know him who has been from the beginning. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong, the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. That finishes the reading of God's holy and inspired word. Now, this morning we're going to consider what it means to be a little child in Christ. The, uh, the Apostle John, in our text, calls, uh, calls us little children. And as he calls us little children, we have to understand this is the same as what the Apostle Peter and the Apostle Paul refer to when they, when they say babes in Christ. Calling new believers new babies or babes in Christ or little children, well, it is a perfect analogy of the new birth, being spiritually born again. As Jesus says, that which is born of flesh is flesh, relating to the natural birth, and that which is born of spirit is spirit, relating to the spiritual birth. So we see how Jesus himself is using our natural birth, and then the growth that comes after that as an analogy of what happens to us spiritually. This is the reason why Jesus says, Do not be amazed that I say to you, you must be born again. You must experience this new birth. And Jesus also told us later on, Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter into it at all. So coming into the kingdom, we all come into the kingdom as little children, as babes in Christ. Now, I just picked up a few items that are associated with, with uh, children and uh, got them here. Um, these, these bottles, they've come a long way since uh, we had one of these in our house. Um, and I was just amazed. There's a whole assortment. There's a whole row of bottles now. This one here is for four months and older. You can strap his little hands on there and have at it. Um, over here, of course, you have the, the, the baby shampoo, which always makes you smell so nice and so gentle, so wonderful. And then I remember... The, the first time I was able to go to the Publix and not buy diapers. Yeah, it was on hiatus and Taft. The Publix had a hiatus and Taft. I remember walking in there saying, I don't have to buy diapers. And, uh, the, the, you know, there's 
four, 504 diapers in this box. That's amazing. Um, but you know what those diapers are for, right? And, and then, of course, we have, we want to teach our kids how to, how to walk. So put them in these little walkers. I think we all can agree that little babies are a lot of work, right? They need constant care, protection, nurturing. And so it is with a babe in Christ. Babes in Christ need the milk of God's word. They, they need the gentle cleansing from the filth of the world. Babes in Christ, they, they need changing. Uh, and that's all I'm going to say about that. And, of course, babes in Christ need to learn how to walk in the faith. Right? So you can see how the analogy really does work as we associate little children and our growth in Christ. Now, as little children in Christ, we see that in the early years of our spiritual development, that the apostle stresses that we should have confidence in two things. These are basically, this is the foundation of our spiritual development. And we, we really need to, to, to really focus on it and really embrace it. Really need to gain confidence in these two things. As little children in Christ, we need to grow in confidence knowing that our sins have been forgiven. And we also need to grow in confidence knowing that God is our Father. This is normal childhood development. And if we don't get these two things right, then other things can become skewed in our spiritual development. This is the reason why the apostle wrote in the text that I just read for you, I am writing to you, little children, because your sins have been forgiven for his namesake. I have written to you, children, because you know the Father. So let's first consider this wonderful statement that the Apostle writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit about little children in Christ when he says, Your sins have been forgiven you for his namesake. So let's break it up in two, two parts. First of all, your sins have been forgiven you. Just let that one sink in for a minute. Your sins have been forgiven you. Now, I know as Christians we hear this type of thing all the time, but maybe we won't really bathe ourselves in it the way we should. Your sins have been forgiven you. Now, no matter what your understanding or your view is concerning the depths of our depravity, the fact is that the Bible teaches us, this is an old school illustration, so I'm going to go old school here. The Bible teaches us that God is holy, holy, holy. And we, well, let's just say it, aren't. <laughs> there is a, a gap in between. And no matter what your view 
is concerning the depths of our depravity, no matter what your view is of how wide this gap is, the fact is, it, it exists. There's a gap between us and God. And, and, the, and God's sovereign solution to fill in that gap, of course, the classic bridge illustration, is his son, our Lord Jesus Christ. God's sovereign solution was to send forth his son, who pleased him perfectly and accomplished all of God's righteous demands, to fill in this gap so that our sins have been forgiven. Your sins have been forgiven you. The ultimate demonstration of God's love towards us, of course, is in Jesus' humble obedience upon the cross, where he secured our forgiveness of sins, where he bridged the gap so that we might be saved. Now, there is an episode that occurs in the early part of Jesus' ministry where Jesus' ministry inside of a crowded house. Many of you are familiar with this story. And it was so packed inside this house that a group of men, uh, they actually made a a skylight in the roof. They, They punched a hole in the roof and they lowered a paralyzed man down so that the paralyzed man ended up right in front of Jesus. And as the man was lowered down and ended up right in front of Jesus, Jesus says these words, Friend, your sins are forgiven you. Now, that might have shocked a lot of people because, of course, you know, the guy's paralyzed. So they're expecting Jesus to say, take up your pallet and walk. They're, you know, they're, they're, but what Jesus says to this guy is, friend, your sins are forgiven you. Now, we see that there were some scribes and Pharisees that were inside of that crowded home. And after hearing Jesus' declaration of forgiveness, they said, Who is this man who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? They got that right. So Jesus was aware of their critical thinking and, and so he answered them to the whole group, saying, Which is easier to say, your sins have been forgiven you, or to say, rise up and walk? Both of them would take a, a miracle from God. So Jesus goes on and says, But in order that, the, the great purpose clause of the New Testament, but in order that you may know That the Son of Man has authority to forgive sin, I say to you, rise, take up your stretcher, and go home. The narrative goes on and says, immediately that man got up before them, he picked up what he had been laying on, and he went home glorifying God. And they... All the people in the house were struck with awe and with astonishment, and they began glorifying God saying, we have seen remarkable things today. Now, what's interesting about this narrative is that Jesus uses this whole situation to show that he has authority to forgive sin. 
Now, Jesus could have just left it at, friend, your sins have been forgiven you. But he knew that everybody needed a physical something, a physical evidence to show that he has some sort of authority to say something like that. He needs to show some sort of evidence that he is God and that he can make the statement, friend, your sins have been forgiven you. So what does he do? Jesus performs a miracle that can be seen to prove that he has authority to prove to perform a miracle that cannot be seen. Jesus's point is the son of man, that is the son of God himself, has the authority to miraculously forgive sin. Which is evidenced by his authority to miraculously cause this lame man to walk. The point is, is that Jesus can bring healing to the paralyzing effects of sin in our lives, which is evidenced by Jesus healing this man from his physical paralysis. Because Jesus is the Son of God, he has the authority to say, friend, Your sins are forgiven you. That's good news, man. There's no greater news to know that your sins are forgiven. In the first service, we recited the Heidelberg Confession on question, uh, catechism, question 56. And if you wouldn't mind, if we could do it together at this service. I'll ask the question and then we'll all answer together as a congregation. You all ready? Okay. What do you believe concerning the forgiveness of sins? I believe that God, because of Christ's satisfaction, will no longer remember my sins nor my sinful nature against which I have struggled all my life and will graciously grant me the righteousness of Christ that I may never come unto condemnation. Wow. I believe that God, because of the satisfaction of Jesus Christ, will no longer remember my sins, will no longer remember my sinful nature, that for which I struggle with my entire life. And he will graciously grant me the righteousness of Christ, so that I will never be condemned. That's what we believe the Bible teaches when we say the simple truth, my sins have been forgiven. Our our sins being forgiven through the satisfaction of Christ to the Father is proclaimed throughout the Bible. Just prior to his ascension to the Father, Jesus basically gives his, a mandate. It's recorded in the last part of the Gospel of Luke. And, the, and, and he says, basically, to go into all the nations, that forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. And I just want to tell you that the apostles took that mandate serious. When, when Peter preached his first sermon, he tells his audience that they can receive forgiveness of sins 
through the accomplishments of Christ. In his next sermon, Peter tells the crowd, repent and return that your sins might be wiped away. And then in Acts chapter 5, he tells the Sanhedrin that God exalted Jesus as prince and savior to his right hand in order to grant us forgiveness of sins. Peter tells Cornelius in Acts chapter 10 that everyone who believes in Jesus Christ receives forgiveness of sins. And Paul, in his first sermon, recorded in Acts chapter 13, tells the crowd in the church of Antioch, that tells the, church, the crowd in Antioch, Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through him, that is Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. The Apostle Paul would go on to write to the church at Ephesus, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to his rich grace. And he would write later to the church of Colossae, God the Father has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, that is, the forgiveness of our sins. And the Apostle John, in his first epistle, would write extensively concerning the doctrine of forgiveness of sins when he would write words like this, the blood of Jesus' son cleanses us from all sin. And he would conclude that, that portion saying, if we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves. And the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Praise be to his holy name. Our sins have been forgiven. This is foundational in our growth in Christ. Embracing this truth that our sins have been forgiven. And to grow in confidence knowing our sins have been forgiven. Now back to the, the story about the healing of the lame man in Luke chapter 5. The Bible states that immediately the lame man got up before them. He picked up what he had been laying on and he went home glorifying God. I don't blame him. And then it goes on to tell us that all that witnessed this miracle were, were all struck with astonishment and began glorifying God. You see, these people and this man were not only glorifying God for the physical healing that he had received, but they were glorifying God for the assurance of spiritual healing through the authority of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. You see, your sins have been forgiven you for His name's sake. I don't know about you, but for me, when I hear the truth, your sins have been forgiven to you, I mean, that's just like, that's like it's just a Waterfall of blessings on me. I mean, I just like, I, I really, I kind of internalize that. I think about it personally. My sins have been forgiven me. However, God wants the glory for it. God wants us to know that our sins have been forgiven us for his name's sake. And just like the lame man and all who witnessed the miracles went home glorifying God, so we as believers in Christ should always with endless praise glorify God that our sins 
have been forgiven us. Listen, you can be lame. You can be blind. You can be deaf and dumb. And God can bring healing to you. But that healing he brings to you is not bigger than the healing that he gives you through the forgiveness of sins. You can have cancer. You can have another terminal illness. And you can be healed from it. But that healing is, it has no way to compare to the spiritual healing that God has given to you through Christ. So that you can sit there with confidence as a little child and say, what? My sins have been forgiven. Can we say it? My sins have been forgiven. Wow. See, no matter what happens to me in my life. If I get a terminal illness or if I live to be 99.9 years old, no matter what, I've already experienced the greatest miracle. My sins have been forgiven. You see, because Jesus bridged the gap between us and God, it's not only that our sins have been forgiven, but the apostle tells us that we need to grow in confidence that we know the Father. We know the Father. Because Jesus filled the gap between us and God, God is no longer some abstract deity, but He's my dad. And this is foundational to our spiritual, my, our spiritual development. God doesn't want us to look at Him as some abstract deity. He wants us to know Him as dad, as father. He wants us to be his little children that draw near to him as a child draws near to his father. And as I mentioned earlier, Jesus told us that whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it at all. So what does Jesus mean entering the kingdom of God like a child? Well, I think we can all agree that the universal characteristic of little children, especially babies, is that they are totally dependent upon their parents to meet their every need. And all the parents say, Amen. No matter what, little children are totally dependent upon the loving care of their mother and their father. The parents dress their children, they feed their children, they change their children, they bathe their children, they hold their children, and they help their children in countless ways every day, only to do it again tomorrow, and the day after that, and the day after that, and a day after that, right? They are in constant need because they are helpless and totally dependent. I don't know, it never happened in our house when, you know, our kids had a, you know, a dirty diaper and either Barbara and I go in, we get the stuff, get the wipes, get the diaper, get everything all laid out, go, and then the kids stand up and say, hey, no, don't worry about it, Pops, I got this one. <laughs> Did it ever happen to any of you? No, because kids are totally dependent to clean up their, excuse me, anyway, 
And just like that child who has a dirty diaper is expecting their parent to come in and to clean up their mess. So we should approach God as our dad. Helpless, totally dependent upon him to come and clean up our mess. So when the Apostle John writes, little children... Know the Father. I believe that the Apostle is declaring the fact that a believer, a Christian, is a person who has surrendered all their power, all their know-how, all their perspectives, and they become totally dependent on God as Father. God is not abstract and and, and outside, God is my dad. And the believer is one who says, I know that my father will supply all my needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And this is foundational to our spiritual development. That we know that God is our father... And because we know that he is our father, that he will take care of us. We need to be helpless and dependent upon him. A believer, a follower of Christ, is a person who says, my father knows best. And I'm going to trust him. These two points that I'm making this morning are foundational to our spiritual development. I know that in many ways it's very basic to the Christian faith. But it's very important that we build on this foundation. So I want to ask you today, are are you a child of God today? Do you have confidence knowing that your sins have been forgiven in Christ? person says, well, how can, I, how can I have that confidence? Well, basically the Bible says by placing your faith in Jesus Christ. And it doesn't have to be some big, enormous faith. Jesus says the faith of a mustard seed. That's the smallest seed that there is. You just take your little mustard seed faith and you place it in Christ and watch your faith grow. Watch you grow in God, to God's glory. Is God speaking to you today about becoming his child, surrendering yourself, becoming totally dependent upon him, and resting in the accomplishments of Christ? And if you're here today and you are a child of God, I want to ask you, are you struck with amazement? Or have you become dull in hearing, like we talked about last week? Have you become dull where the statement where your sins have been forgiven you doesn't just melt you? Have you become so hard and calloused that you hear the gospel saying your sins have been forgiven you? And you say, oh, man, that's so elementary. I wish the preacher would talk about superlapsarianism or something like that. I'm telling you, 
Have you, are you, are you struck with a, just being just totally struck with the fact that God is your dad? I think if we move beyond, if we grow without those two things really being set in our heart, we're going to be messed up. So this morning, that's what I'm asking, that you would set those two things firmly in your heart by the Holy Spirit. We have a grand opportunity to profess our faith together this morning by receiving the Lord's Supper. The table set before us today is not the table of this church nor the table of this denomination. This is the Lord's table. And therefore, it's for all those who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Even if God has drawn you to himself just today. This table is for you. On this table are two simple symbols of our faith. The bread representing his body, which was broken for us. And the cup representing his blood, which was shed for us. These are the symbols of the fact that our sins have been forgiven us. And that God is our Father. God is our Father and because the scriptures tell us when we partake of these elements in faith, then we will be spiritually nourished. Spiritually nourished so that we might grow even more to the glory of God. But the scriptures also tell us to examine our hearts before we receive the supper. And so I'd ask you by the Holy Spirit... To, to pray to God's the simple prayer, search my heart, O God, search my heart. But most particularly, as we consider the, the, the text this morning, am I truly resting in the forgiveness of sins through Christ? Do I have the confidence to know that all my sins have been forgiven? God remembers them no more, not even my sinful nature which has haunted me all my life. And that I will never be condemned. And is God your dad? The one that you trust that will care for you no matter what's going on in your life. I pray that the Holy Spirit would guide each one of us to be able to search our hearts today, most particularly in those two areas. As I, receive, as I prepare the table for us and the worship team comes back up, let's each one of us just take a, a moment to examine our own hearts before we receive the meal. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, our God, we, your people, come to you today thanking you for the good news that your sovereign solution for the gap that existed between us was to send forth your Son, our Lord Jesus, to totally please you, to accomplish all your righteous deeds so that we might stand forgiven in the sight of God our Father. Lord Jesus, I confess that you are my Lord, my Savior. I ask you, Lord, to forgive me of my sins, to come into my life, to claim me as a child of God. And as your little child, Lord, 
I pray that you would give me the confidence to know that my sins have been forgiven because of your work. The confidence to know that God is my Father, totally dependent and resting in Him. Lord, we come to this table today, needy people, hungering and thirsting for the kingdom of God. And we pray, Lord, as we partake of these elements today, that you would nourish our souls. We pray these prayers in Jesus' name. Amen.